Welcome to the Mix Masters Podcast, a program created by me, Steve Litcher, live sound engineer for the band Stitched Up Heart. I created this podcast during the COVID pandemic as a means to keep in contact with my friends and mentors from the live sound industry. Touring with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet some really incredible people, and I wanted to introduce you to their stories. So whether you're an experienced engineer, a hobbyist, or someone who's just wondered what goes into mixing a live music show, this podcast is for you. I've got to thank my friend Merritt Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's an incredible musician and composer. Give him a shout on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin, or on Instagram at Doubt the Trust. Thanks again for joining me. Now let's bring up the faders and start the podcast. My guest for today's episode is Brian McDonald. Brian makes his home in the Salt Lake City area where he's a freelance engineer for a number of well-known venues. I met Brian at Salt Lake City's The Metro while we were on tour with Kaleido. In addition to being a very talented front of house engineer, Brian is an outstanding system engineer. He definitely made our show a lot better by offering suggestions and assistance at every opportunity. Brian has also toured and most recently served as front of house engineer for Jeremy Zucker. If you'd like to learn more about Brian after today's show, you can find him on Instagram at coolguy underscore bry. Brian spells his name with a Y, so be sure to spell it B-R-Y. Thanks as always for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to give us a like and a follow, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Cheers. Brian, it is a true pleasure and I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. No problem. Thanks, Ruber. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So first thing, before we get into your history uh, and how you got involved in the industry, um, we're doing this via Skype, and the connection is awesome. Thankfully, knock on wood, that it stays that way. And I'm looking yes. <laughs> at your, I'm looking at your microphone because I'm a tech guy, uh, just like you are, and I I notice it's a an SE. I believe that's a V7 vocal microphone. It's a V7. Yeah, are you as big a fan of those as I am? I I love it. I got to try one out with an artist that came through on one. And I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll see. And fell in love with it. And next day, bought three of them. Don't think I'll ever look back as just my go-to mic of choice. That's awesome. Yeah, there's nothing. The first time I started using one of those, the, the background rejection, the proximity, they all worked really, really nicely. Oh, yeah. And they're they're great, especially if you have guitarists that are a little bit away from the microphone. You still get a full-bodied vocal. They're they're great, especially on smaller stages. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. So I, I didn't mean to jump into tech talk right away off the bat, but uh, I couldn't all resist uh, noticing and commenting about the microphone there. So, all right. So Brian, you're you're a sound guy through and through. Um, you've done monitors, you've done front of house. Uh, you're a one at a venue. What drew you to the sound industry? How did you get, were you a musician? What what brought you into this world? Not much of a musician, really. Um, back in maybe high school, I was in like a few bands that didn't do anything except jam on the weekends. Um, but it was something I loved and decided, actually, initially, I wanted to go down the road of doing uh, studio recordings. Um which brought me to going to school at the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences in Arizona. Um, did that, chase a studio dream for a while. I mean, it was great school, um, but 
ended up not really succeeding that well at the studio thing. It's just hard to get into. And with everybody being able to just have studio out of their house nowadays, you know, it's hard to make a living out of it. I mean, a lot of people do, and that's great. Um, so I picked up live sound stuff on the side, starting out like just doing karaoke at bars on the weekends, um, then working bands and then moving into concerts and just really fell in love with it. Um, live sound was just a game changer for me. I, I loved it. I love the troubleshooting aspect of it. That was what really drew me into it was being able to fix a problem quickly. I, I just love it. I get it. I get it. It's uh, there's something rewarding about, you know, having sort of an immediate gratification of doing live sound. You know, you push that fader a little bit and the crowd goes crazy, you know, or you, Oh yeah. You dial in your compression a little bit on the lead vocal and shape your EQ and it all of a sudden the mix is, you know, 10 times better. And you're just like, yeah, that's awesome. There is that almost instant gratification at times. Um, it's, it's great. It's unlike any other. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned going to school in Arizona. Where, where do you come from originally? Where, where do you, where did you spend your time growing up and you know, how did you go to that college and, and what drew you down to there? So, um, I grew up in a very small town called Jensen, Utah. Um, it's like population of like 500, <laughs> really small, That's all right. really small little town. Um, but, um, just wanted to get out and it's something that I really wanted to do. And I just decided to chase that dream. Um, looking back on it now, I know a lot of engineers who didn't go to school that do really great things. And a lot of engineers that went to school and have done really great things. Um, it's a weird thing about this industry, I think, is you don't necessarily have to go to school for it. And a lot of people are saying, don't go to school for it or do go to school for it. Um, I'm glad I did. I didn't really have the resources. I didn't grow up in a city to be like, oh, you know, I'll hang out at this venue and I'll learn. So I think school is a great op option for me. And I mean, it's a great fast track to the knowledge. You know, yeah. I didn't spend more than like a year and a half there, trade school sort of thing. So really didn't lose that much time. Did you get exposed to a lot of uh, equipment at the school that, that um, you may not have otherwise had a chance to work on, do you think? Oh, yeah. Was it Definitely. mostly analog, digital, a little bit of a mix of both? A little bit of a mix of both. Um, of course, um, they more focus on recording, the recording side of things. Um, but, I mean, we were, we were playing on, you know, SSL, we were playing on API. We were playing on Neves. Uh, I think at the time they had a D show there for their live sound rig. Um, great school. Got to I mean, touch a lot of equipment, learn what they do quickly. A lot of the same things apply in Oxend, still in Oxend. Compressor, still a compressor. So it was great. Yeah, it's funny how that works. Even with technology, uh, the underlying pieces still do what they did, you know, 30 years ago or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was great. So did the school, you, you mentioned doing some, having a live sound equipment as well. Was it primarily focused on recording and you dabbled in live sound or did they, it, how did that work? It is actually part of the course um, there. So um, every student has to go through live sound stuff, a uh, little bit of live sound training. Uh, theirs was pretty, like the required portion was really basic and then you could do more stuff afterwards. I hindsight should have like actually took more of the live sound stuff a little bit more seriously um but like one of the first things they had us do is they showed us all the parts of like a just a small club pa 
and we just had to set it up from scratch and do that and then the option was there to you know work on the big massive pa of course yeah what it, what was their big massive pa or do you remember even i'm trying to remember i believe it was an l acoustics rig but i am not sure uh, that's that's not too bad no no <laughs> we've been great knowing that now but um it was fun uh we learned the basics basics of smart which has really helped me i'm a huge advocate of using smart it has changed my mixing and how i mix drastically so i don't want to jump ahead too far um but that's a mm -hmm. really great point do you do you find um i know you support a lot of touring engineers that come through the metro um do you find a lot of them are traveling with smart rigs or are you uh helping you know sort of almost se for them and you know tune the pa according to what they want a mix of both how, how are you using that today um i always try and get in you know two hours ahead of tours load in time so i can do that so i know every part of my system is working uh whether it is at metro or another venue in the city um i always try and get in as early as possible so i can you know blast pink through everything make sure it's as flat as possible and you know make sure that everything's great um the big the big thing i guess is trying to uh make sure i'm comfortable and then they'll usually come in as well and start doing their pink stuff and they'll see that it's pretty flat yeah so that's awesome and it's definitely as somebody who's started touring later in life it's nice to have a system that's already flat no surprises mm -hmm. you know nothing nothing is uh out of phase or, or blown or, you know, not functioning for some reason. So on behalf of everybody, thank you for doing that. That's awesome. I mean, if you have the tools, you might as well use them. Yeah. No. It's, it's great. And I mean, also, um, sometimes I'll tell them what I did. If they don't like it, they can flatten it and do whatever they want. Um, I'm totally fine with that. doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Um, sometimes I'll learn some new things like, oh, I think you've delayed this too far and, you know, I'll talk to them. Um, on the other end of that too, I could have just freed up 45 minutes of time. Yeah. No, like that's, expensive. yeah. Time is invaluable, especially when you're, uh, dealing with a hectic load in and set up and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's jump back into, uh, your history there. So you, you get out of, uh, the school and you mentioned you wanted to work in a studio and focus on recording. Did you end up at a studio after getting out of school, or how did that play out? I did. They they do have an intern. I'm going to mute this really quick. <laughs> no problem. Um, so, yeah, um, they set you up with an internship afterwards, and I ended up uh, moving to Miami, Florida. Wow, that's a little bit of a change. Um, and was an intern at Circle House Studios in Miami. Um, didn't do much there besides running, maybe assist, uh, record a few things in Pro Tools, do some basic editing. Um, and it it was actually kind of boring. Wow, that's a bummer. <laughs> did, didn't really care for it. Um, I did get one or two live sound gigs when I was down there. And kind of that's when I first got like my foot in the door and I liked it, liked how fast paced it was. Um, you know, it wasn't just sitting in a room hitting space bar a bunch of times and you know just boring grunt work yeah <laughs> um so you know um i felt a little bit more needed in a live sound scenario whether it was like this needs to move now or this has to go there or i need to do this um you know we're in the studio it was 
just kind of left it there and it's like um you guys want a coffee hey go go get a coffee you yeah. know and then come back and wait another hour and a half to be like you guys want food all right go get food um yeah. so that was kind of a bummer uh anyways i ended up uh moving back home to that small town and still wanted to pursue it so i got with some bands and you know had a little pro tools rig rig that i tried to do recording stuff and then my bands are like hey we're playing a bar in uh over here do you want to come mix us and i was like yeah sure and so i did that and the bar was pretty happy with it and so then they had me start doing their karaoke nights and weekend stuff and you know it was good yeah I, and that's kind of how i got started on that then i ended up moving to salt lake and uh just networking and ended up working at a uh, club called in the venue in salt lake city so cool yeah how big was that how big is that club in the venue so they had two rooms um one i believe was uh i know one was a 500 cap and the other one was i think 12 maybe 15 oh so nice size nice size club nice size club cool um rundown a little bit rundown <laughs> we call it but, character um yes uh but you know what? I learned more working in that club than I think I would have any other place that had, you know, everything up to date. Like I had to I had to make things work. I think when I first got in there in the 500 cap room, it was still a Soundcraft Series 5. Oh, a wow. bunch of outboard stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, that's crazy. I uh, you just made me think of a memory. So I, I met you when Stitch Apart was on tour last fall, and we went through the Metro, and you were our first show of of our uh, headlining run. And I just remember you being unbelievably, incredibly helpful, uh, even to the point where I realized that I didn't have a short uh, Cat 5 jumper for my uh, from the board to the stage rack, and uh, you built me that cable mm. and, like, you know, three minutes and you're like, here you oh, go, yeah. man. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Hey, thanks. I'll and I think we actually got into a discussion about elite core audio because it was a strand from elite core. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's the, uh, that was the cat five snake I was traveling with at that time. And yeah, we started talking about that. So yeah. And then just to let everybody know how nice Brian is, uh, after the gig was over, I went to give him the cable back and he's like, nah, just keep it. It's all good. And I was like, Oh dude, you're a lifesaver. Thank you. Yep, I remember. It's the little thing. I'll make another if I need one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. So you're 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 uh, working at in the venue. You're I'm assuming you were like a one, a two there. Uh, I was a two under a good friend of mine, uh, John Catlin. Um, so yeah, did that for a long time, and then of course he moved on to do better things, and I took took over the a one position, and it was it was really good. Then it it kind of they they closed down for a few months and that's what started me on more of a freelance thing and jumping around to multiple venues yeah how did you uh i know you toured with jeremy zucker uh last year or the year before how did you how did you make that connection and what was that like um that was out of the blue i just had a friend of mine who called me and said hey um these people need a guy i can't do it uh would this be something you were open to it's a young artist getting out there uh would you want to do this? And I just said, yeah, of course. That's cool. That's what I've been trying to do for years. So I would love to take that opportunity. 
Yeah. So when you were on that tour, were you traveling with your own gear? Were you mixing house gear? Uh, how did that How did that play out? That was mainly all uh, desk wise house stuff. So whatever all- they had, we ran with it. Um, we we're traveling with wireless um, and stuff, but um, for the most part, all house gear, sound wise, which was really nice. Learned a lot. Learned a lot of desks, good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. You accumulate a lot of USB keys, I find, when you go that route. Yes, <laughs> you're like, yes, you right. do. Oh, you've got a, you've got an X32. All right, I'll grab that key. Uh, so yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah. it's always fun. Um, so then, how did you end up back over at the Metro, um, sort of being the primary uh, A1 there? Um, you know, I'm assuming, did you do that before you went on tour with Jeremy? After you went on tour with Jeremy? Um, I I picked up stuff there occasionally before jeremy and then i really got in there after after that tour and it's been keeping me busy it's probably about i don't know i'd say 70 80 percent of my work is at metro other 20s at various places and come festival season i'm usually out yeah either taking a rig or doing monitors in front of house that's the beauty of uh having the skill set that you have you know is you're not sort of um you know bound to doing one type of thing the fact that you can tune a rig and you're comfortable and smart i think that that's really an intelligent thing to do and in, in a, a great skill set you know that that wide range of skills is really phenomenal yeah it is it's it's great to know and actually i mean the software itself is actually pretty easy i mean there's a little bit of a learning curve to it but once you know it i mean it's a game changer and it's great yeah no that's i totally agree I think uh, it can be a little bit daunting. Um, have you taken any of the smart fundamentals courses or any of the training that they do? Um, not since I have uh, left school, really. Sure. And I know a lot has changed. I forget which version I was on back in, that would have been 2011. Oh, so. yeah. I'll, uh, Chris from Rational Acoustics is a guest on one of our upcoming podcasts. I'll have to ask him oh, nice. what, uh, what version... That may have been back yeah. in 2017. I'm sure he'll, or 2011, he'll, uh, I'm sure he'll know. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So t- talk to us a little bit about the Metro. Um, it was definitely a fun venue, uh, well-tuned room. Run us through the rig and uh, just, uh, you know, take us down the technical aisle of all things Metro. So let's see. We have, uh, let's start with the mains. We have uh, the JBL VRXs um, and the SRX subs, uh, four per side on the top, and then four of the dual 18 subs. Uh, at front of the house, we have a Pro 2C with a 251, which sits side stage, which can be sometimes a pain if drive lines are needed at front of house, but we figure out ways to do it. Um, other than that, let's see, we have we have two delay clusters because it is a very, very long room and those boxes just don't do the justice of getting all the way to the back. Yeah. Uh, so we have two mono clusters, one in a balcony and one uh, mid or about where the bar sits. Yeah. What's the capacity of that room? That room is uh, 500 cap. That feels about right. Yeah. I was, I was trying to remember uh, how big it was. So, yeah. I think we could get more bodies, but I believe uh, fire code, since there is only that, one exit in the back uh everything else is crew entrance 
uh, I think it's capped at 500. Yeah, cool. And then I, I remember a whole bunch of crown amplification. Uh, I don't remember what the stage wedges were. They were uh, was uh, DMB Technologies. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah that's right. Those actives, DM, I forget what ones they are. Yeah. They're smaller ones. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to say, you know, I, I hate to say this out loud, but... Uh, <laughs> A lot of people have a prejudice against the VRX series, you know, because they're used to it being, you know, harsh and uh, short throw. Um, was the PA in the room when you started working there? Did you have any uh, say in the design of it? Because the the room is really well tuned. It's, you know, a little bright when nobody's in there just because of the nature of, of it being, you know, hard surfaces everywhere. But once it fills up, it's, it's a really great sounding room. You know, I... I, I fought with that room for about a year, to be completely honest. I went in there, and the uh, first couple shows, I had I had some pretty bad ones. I was like, I just can't. I can't get this up to show volume without just being ear-piercing or just taking a high shelf and just slamming it. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like um, destroying all siblings and legibility. Um, so it was, it was definitely a work in progress. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of the VRX series inside buildings. If if they're outside, they actually they're pretty great boxes, and they do great. I've worked uh, some festivals where um, you know a side stage has you know four VRX per side, um, and they're fine. Open air, I'm fine. Uh, but just those uh, three high drivers to one low driver uh, in a room is just sometimes. Yeah, and then you get four of them on each side. Manage of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, so, yeah, and I, I was really impressed because the way the Metro is set up, there's that long wall stage right, uh, and that VRX right side hang is you know right against that wall. Yet, it you managed to tame it. What what's your what was your magic for uh, getting that to happen? Uh, it's another smart thing. Um, before I had smart, because um, when I first started working there, I didn't have smart, and the. Uh, um, I actually went to Harmon and uh, asked them for their speaker tunings. Um, and they sent me one. And if you look at, because what are we using? The 4800, Drive Rack 4800, I believe. Uh, sounds right. DBX. Um, uh, and so I got their file. They sent me a file. And I did that. And going through it, it, it looks nightmarish. I was like, I was like, this is really like, this is what you guys say is good. Okay. And I loaded it and it helped, but it was, still wasn't great. Uh, and that was actually one of the things where I was like, I'm, I'm going to buy smart. I'm, I'm over it and ended up buying that and just tweaking it and moving the mics a bunch of times. And, you know, slowly after every mix, I would check and see what I need to do, what I need to do. Um, I think a lot would help with that room if we could move the speakers a little bit off that wall. So we're not, you know, corner loading those speakers. Uh, but, um, they don't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah, there's the thing about sight lines and, and look and feel and all that good stuff. You know, it always comes... Yeah. All of the non-technical stuff seems to, you know, impact the technical stuff quite a bit. Yeah. It's it's one of those things that, um, you know, sometimes things could work better if you move something, but sometimes you're not allowed to move things. And I know that goes all the way up to, you know, stadium level stuff. Like, now we have to have this this way. Yeah. And it, you know you maybe get a better result by moving the boxes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was listening to somebody talk about system tuning. I think it may have been on the Signal to, Signal to Noise podcast that ProSound Web does, and they were talking to um, a guy who does system tuning uh, for a lot of big acts, and he said the number one thing he does with tuning is adjust placement, uh, you know, more than applying filters and, and trying to do it, you know, electronically. A lot of times just the physical relocation of something makes a, a massive difference. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it really does. Um, so, I, oh, go ahead. Uh, one more thing. Another thing that I actually ended up doing was actually getting those delays in the right spot. That was another thing that helped a lot because um, at first they were just thrown up there. Um, whoever put the system in, I think, was just like, uh, yeah, about here. We'll just screw them to the roof there. And yeah, we can't hear anything over here, so we'll just screw in here. Uh, which I actually ended up downloading JBL's uh, line array calculator for the VRXs and I actually saw their throws at the frequencies and actually put those into a better positioning, which helped coverage from front to back, which was really nice. Yeah, it's all the little things that make, a, you know, the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. It's uh, It really works well. Yeah, and it's, it's incredible now. I mean, all this, a lot of the software is free or pretty cheap or reasonably priced and i mean they're pretty easy to use um if you have a question most of the stuff is in the qa section of the manufacturer or you can find it online many people are using these so yeah that's cool the software is there and it's practically for your knowledge it's great it's gotta gotta find it and play around with it right oh yeah yeah um, can you talk a little bit about uh, your mixing philosophy? Um, when we were at uh, your venue, there was a local opener, and I thought your mix just crushed. Uh, it sounded so good. Uh, you know, of course, you're oh, using thank you. you're using the Midas Pro Two, uh, which is never a bad thing. But uh, no, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> can you talk about a little bit about how you set up your board? Um, you know, what's are you using groups? Are you uh, you know parallel compressing everything? What's your philosophy towards setting up your mix and um, you know getting it to sound so unbelievably awesome, even in a, a hard room like uh, the Metro, um, or you know I'm sure other venues are challenging as well. But your your mix just crushed it. Uh, I was curious about what you do with that. Um, yeah, I'm a huge huge fan of mixing on uh, subgroups. I I love it. Uh, ever since I started it, especially back uh, when I was using the uh, Soundcraft Series 5 and started using it because don't worry about latency, of course, so I could bust anything anywhere and it was great. Um, so, yeah, I do like that. Uh, one thing that is a bummer is I can't use as many as I would like to because I do have to do monitors from front of house. Um, just don't have the amount of buses I would need to do exactly what I want to do. But usually uh, drums... I'll go to uh, parallel, all of a wet and a dry. Um, usually that's only shells, no hi-hat or overheads. Yep, metal, um, no metal. Yeah, yeah. no metal. Um, then I'll usually have another bus, not a parallel bus, but I bus all my vocals to a stereo bus, and that's just mainly to keep all the vocals in line with each other if someone's too loud, if someone's too quiet, just evening the playing field a little bit for me. Um, especially on a uh, local band or someone that I've never, you know, I don't know their material. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who can sing, who can't sing, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and then I'll have a free bus that I'll have open and depending on what I need to maybe glue together a little bit better, um, I'll use that. 
Cool. Um, sometimes, like, if there's multiple guitars, uh, um, I'll glue those together. Um, tracks are a big one, too, if there's multiple, multiple tracks, um, and I don't know how the tracks are going to come in level-wise um, to make that a little bit easier on me, is I'll, of course, take them out of the mains, send them to that, and put a slight bit of compression just in case one of them tries to, you know, jump louder than the others because of a bad master or something. I can keep those all even across the board. Um, you find your... Rather than having the up-down, play the up-down game. Yeah. Tracks. Which which layer am I on? Where was that? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find... I didn't mean to interrupt, but um, I, I really... Uh, I like that you said about adding the compression on the, the tracks bus. Do you generally find that you're doing compression primarily at the bus level? Or are you doing it at the input level? Uh, a little bit of both? Usually a little bit of both. Um, when it comes to tracks, I try not to compress them too much because I assume the files that I'm getting are pretty compressed enough. Yeah. Um, de- depending on how uh, their musical director or whoever set them up. Sure. Uh, but on vocals, I will have a pretty uh, fast attack, fast release um, thing, just taking out transients. Um, you know, I get a lot, of, a lot of guys who will check a mic really hot and then sing really quiet uh, when it comes to local artists or stuff, pe- people I don't know coming through. And so I'll have that just to kind of tone it down. Yeah, it's uh, the surprises uh, and going back to your troubleshooting, you know, all of a sudden you're like, Wow, uh, not exactly how we sound checked. Uh, so we'll adjust on the fly and uh, mm-hmm. deal accordingly. Yeah, that's definitely a big one. It's sometimes you never know what you're going to get with some bands, but yeah, it's, it's great. Keeps you that's on your I toes, makes you a little mm-hmm. bit smarter at the end of the day. Hopefully, definitely does. Yeah. Um, so another thing I wanted to talk about, and it's something that a lot of people probably don't talk about too much, uh, at least uh, we're, we make a lot of jokes about it, but uh, I really like the sound of the bass guitar that you had in your mix uh, for that local opener. Are you doing anything? Was that the guy's rig? Was it anything? You're, are you doing any magic on bass guitar? Are you got any tips or tricks around uh, getting a nice, clean, punchy, you know, uh, transient bass guitar? You know... Um, bass guitar is one I've struggled with, especially in that room being a big hallway, depending on the amount of bodies in there. And they sit underneath a hollow stage. So that sometimes helps, sometimes hurts. Yeah. Um, depending, but I'll usually of course do a DI and a microphone. Uh, one microphone I've used on my bass a lot is actually the, uh, AKG D112. Oh, sure. Um, I'll use that as the microphone and I'll usually find a crossover point. And uh, have uh, the DI, of course, taking most of the low end uh, and keeping that pretty compressed and tight and low. And then starting the low mids and higher up, I'll bring in the uh, guitar or the microphone portion of it. Yeah. Uh, then I'll take both of those out of the mains and to a bus. And then I'll have a pretty loose compression on there, just trying to even it out uh, heading towards the main bus. It's really, uh, that's that's a really great philosophy, so thanks for sharing that. Um, talking about buses, I, I'm, I'm smiling, and you probably can't see it because I've got this huge microphone in front of my face, but uh, <laughs> have you been uh, watching any of the uh, online classes, particularly from guys like uh, Pooch Van Druten, uh, anybody like that? I have been watching uh, every time as YouTube comes out. Um, I've been watching those, and 
it's it's actually awesome to see that like some things that that I do that I'm like I'm not sure if this is right but I like this and this is working really well and then he talks about it and that's like kind of the same thing he's doing and I was like oh cool awesome yeah I was talking right track with some things (laughs) (laughs) I was talking to somebody about the other day on one of our recordings um it's it's really funny because I'm mixing on DLive these days, and so I've gotten back into all of the the DLive forums and whatnot. And the the question I've seen more often over the last couple of weeks is, how do I mix a bus into a bus? Because that's something that Pooch does quite a bit with his mixes in the mm-hmm. digital world, and, and you can't really do it easily in the DLive world. So, are you do you ever find yourself doing that with the the Pro Two, or uh, is there just too much latency to deal with, or uh, you know, are you? I've never tried it, um, but I'm going to assume there's going to be a little too much latency, and it would start to annoy me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's funny. Um, Pooch is really doing the world a favor by sort of pulling back the curtain and showing us everything that he's doing with you know guys like Iron Maiden and Justin Bieber. He's going to be on the podcast uh, in a in a episode coming up, so I'm excited about that. Great. That's awesome. Yeah, he's a super nice guy. Um, so you mentioned, uh, you know, watching the podcast and, and or not podcast, but YouTube channels. Uh, what are you doing right now to stay busy and to stay, you know, on top of things? What, what's, uh, how are you spending your days? Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of courses are being held, especially from the big manufacturers of, uh, of PA boxes. You know, I've seen uh, stuff come out from, from Martin, from, uh, you know, JBL from L Acoustics. Um, and so if I can jump in on one of those streams, I'll definitely try and do that. Um, other than that, um, it's, it's really weird because I try my hardest to keep myself as booked as possible. Like, you know, I, I live for like, you know, nine, 10 sh- show day runs. I, I love that. You know, I try You're to keep animal. myself super, super booked. And with all this downtime now, I, I have idle hands and I'm really not sure what to do with them. Um, so I'm trying to keep myself as busy as possible. Um, actually, mentioned to uh, Pooch's podcast, um, he uh, he mentioned uh, Yamaha's Sound Reinforcement Handbook. And so um, I actually own that. So I've been rereading that or going over parts, you know, that I'm trying to do. Um, yeah, just trying to keep myself busy as much as possible. Um it's a great opportunity to, you know, keep learning. Uh, you know, you mm-hmm. may not be out in the thick of things, but you can still pick up a lot of things uh, during this downtime. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that uh, Yamaha Sound Reinforcement Handbook, it's sort of the the Bible. Uh, everybody, I think, points new, uh, eager, excited engineers towards that handbook. Mm-hmm. And then you can almost see the excitement wash off of their face, you know, when they're like, dude, I want to mix an arena. Why are you telling me to read this book? And it's like, yeah, you got to start somewhere, my friend. It's yeah. Cause I know there's, uh, I've, I've done that to a few people. They're like, they're like, you know, I, I want to learn more. I want to learn more. And I was like, I was like this, like, I'll even buy it for you. Like, this is, this is Bible. Like everything you need to know is in here. Like there's great things in this book. It's awesome. Maybe a little bit outdated. I think it was probably before the invention of the NL4 connector. So they still talk about banana plugs in there and whatnot. And, but, um, you know, it, the, the knowledge is, I mean, the things in that books haven't changed. They're, they're great. 
yeah, no, we're it's definitely it's a bit something. of a boring book, but there is so much knowledge in there. The the first time I went through it, I was in high school, and uh, I found myself like not having any idea what they were talking about because I was you know fifteen or whatever, and mm-hmm. and then rereading it and still not really having an idea about what they were talking about, and then rereading it later on and having to reread page after page because I just wasn't you know it was it wasn't clicking i wasn't absorbing mm-hmm. it uh yeah it's definitely a lot of stories about that book yeah and okay. and that's one thing too with the rereading of it is i'm like i was like oh yeah oh i forgot about that like yeah. wow that's something i should probably account for next time i'm behind a desk or you know it's it's great yeah yeah that's cool um anything else around your mix philosophy like maybe how you like to lay out your board or any of your gain structuring any any tips or tricks that you have found particularly useful that you wish you had known, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, uh, three weeks ago. There's a few things that I wish I would have known a bit better. One is gain staging. I mean, the first time I was behind a desk, I was, you know, I was eager. Turn the gain knob up, like turn the fader up and there it is. And it was awesome. Uh, and I just do that to every fader, not really looking at my, my meters yeah so like i I would have this really weird gain stage um so learning proper gain staging and having everything you know metering before even bringing the 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 faders up like metering where they should uh that has changed it because if i get my meters where i want them and everything and then i just bring all those faders to nominal you know i'm pretty set at a good starting point from there are you i'm gonna have to do minor movements to get at least in place i mean i'm not gonna have the best sparkly sounding mix at the moment but you know it's a great starting spot yeah no that's fantastic uh yeah gain stage gain structure uh hugely important so if somebody's listening to this and isn't playing around with gain staging uh after you read the yamaha sound reinforcement guide play around with gain gain staging i've always called it gain structure but i guess it's gain structure gain staging Six of six of one, half a dozen of the other. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other things, um, destroying things with EQ. That was something I was good at when I was very young. You know, like that sounds like crap. Take it out, and I would just like kill it. And just like now, nah, just gotta get a few dB. Just yeah. Push it down. Don't don't nuke it. Um, and properly using high pass and low pass filters. Um, that's one thing that I you know, has been super, you know, I can, I can now push things, you know, up or down and make things fit a little bit better. Yeah. It's all about fitting all of those pieces into the mix uh, and every carving out frequencies for everything. So I think that's really wonderful advice uh, to share. Um, So I appreciate you doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, The other thing is, of course, Go, going back to destroying things with the EQ, um, I used to do the same thing before I even started with an input is um, I would tune a song or uh, load up a song to tune a PA and stuff. And I would I would cut super important frequencies all the way across the board because I did it on my mains. You know, I'd be like, oh, and, you know, just like weird things like, you know, I preferably don't like the sound of 3K. So I'd take that out. And, you know, 3K is kind of important in some things. So, you know don't do that anymore either, you know, make sure it's, it's flat, not, you know, necessarily tuned to like, Oh, this is something I don't like. So I'm going to take it out. 
Yeah, uh, it's, that's really awesome advice. So I appreciate that. So um, I think we'll probably start winding down here a little bit, but um, you know, we're, we're all on hiatus right now because of the virus. Uh, what's, what are you planning to do as soon as we get the okay to, to re-congregate and uh, you know, get back out and start doing things? What, what's, what do you got in your future? Uh, get back as soon as, as soon as possible. As soon as, soon as they give me the green light, I'm going to go back to those nine, 10, go back. Yes. <laughs> show days book as many shows as possible. Um, try and get back out on the road. I would love to do that. Of course. Um, one thing I have is, uh, there's a venue down here that has some weird things going on with their PA that I was troubleshooting prior to this whole thing. And so I will be fixing that. Um, power's not allocated properly, so I have to fix that. Oh, that's no fun. Yeah. 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 Power can ruin your day pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. They're, uh, yeah. They're like, yeah, we, we usually like recone these speakers like every, you know, six months or so. And I was like, that's not right. <laughs> um, let me, let me in there and see what's going on. Let's see what's going on. Yeah. So that's cool. I have to figure out that problem. Yeah. Awesome. Other than that, yeah, I'm, trying to learn as much as possible to make myself more lucrative and you know yeah just keep progressing up the ladder yeah i get it i appreciate that um okay well uh is there anything that i didn't ask you that you wish i had asked you um don't really think so cool i think i'm pretty good awesome um, I know you're pretty active on social media. I've uh, seen touring pictures and venue pictures uh, on your Instagram uh, account. If people wanted to follow you online, where would they go to find you? Uh, that would be at Instagram at coolguy underscore bry, B-R-Y. Um, that's at Instagram. Other than that, I really don't have many other social medias, but you can always reach out via email if you would like to. And that is at brianmacengineering at gmail.com. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I really uh, do appreciate uh, your willingness to help people. And I think that's really fantastic. And so if anybody out there is listening and has a question and want to talk to Brian, that's a, a great way to get in touch with him. I will post uh, both of those links to the show notes. So if you're in the car or, you know, out jogging or whatever, listening to this, um, don't worry about trying to remember it. It'll be in the show notes. All right. All right, Brian. Um, Thank you so much again for your time today. Uh, thanks for the insights and sharing uh, information with us. Really awesome information that you provided. I can't wait to get back out on the road and go through Salt Lake and uh, stop by the Metro. Um, it'll be great to see you in person. But um, until then, uh, thank you so much for doing this uh, online. And um, yeah, hopefully we're out of this um, quarantine before too long and we'll all be doing what we love. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> cool. Hopefully that real soon. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, take care, man, and I will see you soon. Thanks for having me on. And that's a wrap on today's show. I hope that you found it equal parts entertaining and informative. This show is recorded on an Allen & Heath D-Live system with Sure microphones and Waves tracks live. I use Skype FaceTime, and Facebook Messenger to meet with my guests, so the occasional robot voice is to be expected. Thanks again to Merrick Goodwin for the awesome show music, and to you for listening. 
Be sure to visit the Mixmasters website at www.mixmasterspodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Mixmasters can also be found on Facebook and Instagram at Mixmasters Podcast. That's all one word. Give a like, follow us, and never miss out on new episodes. 